The world of construction is transforming before our eyes. How we design, plan, quantify and build is changing day to day. But it's never been so easy to connect, share, bring people together. Our industry is reshaping. So how do we develop relationships? How do we overcome our fears? How do we generate business? And how do we ultimately become the best version of ourselves? This is Made to Measure. I'm Mick Donaghy. My guest today is... On this episode of Made to Measure, we are joined by Stephen Walter. Stephen is a powerhouse within the world of estimating here in Australia. Currently, the National Estimating Lead of Bellwether Contractors, a civil engineering contractor who have been involved in over $57 billion worth of projects. Previous to this position, Stephen also held the role of Division Estimating Manager for Abbey Group, now known as Lendlease, as well as positions with John Holland, ProBuild Civil and Lang O'Rourke. In terms of Tier 1 estimating, it really doesn't get much bigger than that. Alongside his professional achievements, Stephen is also a Chartered Professional Engineer, a Registered Professional Engineer of Queensland and a Fellow of Engineers Australia. It was really great speaking with Stephen and if you're in any way involved in estimating, you should get a little something from this episode. I really hope you enjoy it. So we're going to crack into it. This is Made the Measure. I'm McDonaghy. And my guest today is Stephen Walter. Thank you very much for, for joining us, Stephen. Hey, no, no problem. Do, do you mind uh, introducing yourself just for the, the guests and, and the audience out there listening? Yeah, so my name's Stephen Walter. I'm the estimating lead for Bellweather Consulting. I look after all the costs that come in and out of the company, whether it be tenders or consulting tenders for uh, owners and other clients. Excellent. So. The reason I was pretty interested in, in having a, a chat to you, Stephen, you've obviously worked in as an estimating manager and uh, an estimating lead in, in many tier one, tier two organizations. But I'm pretty keen to, to maybe just sort of take it back to the very start. How did you actually become an estimator and, and why did you become an estimator? Just quickly, I guess there's a little bit of a backstory to it. Um, I'm actually a watermaker by trade. So uh, I did my trade. And a couple of years after that, seven years, as a boilermaker, did my time in Salisbury in Brisbane and um, realised it's not what I want to do. It didn't take me long when I saw half of the tradesmen that were deaf and blind and, and kicking the bucket when they were in their early 50s and 60s. I realised that the smoke and everything involved with the, that sort of a trade wasn't for me. So I got out and decided to change of vocation. And I'll just go through quickly and then went, did a huge hospitality course, actually. And I was living on the Gold Coast at the time as a young fellow, and the opportunity came to work at Jupiter's Casino. Mm-hmm. So I started working there for about two and a half years, and I ended up being a supervisor there in the showroom. Came out of that, realised that wasn't for me either. Got married, had a couple of kids, and realised then that I needed to find a secure career and that uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I decided to go back to some sort of engineering, which is what I really loved. And um, as a mature age student at, at age 30-ish, I sat, sat an excess and equity course and got, back, and got into the uh, University of Southern Queensland 
doing an engineering degree. With my background as a boilermaker, but still as a civil engineer, uh, I always wanted to be. So I just, for some reason, just took that path uh, and always wanted to be a civil engineer. So I did my civil engineering degree, which took me seven years as a mature age student. In my last year of uni, I got the opportunity to to get a scholarship because it was pretty hard. We had a mortgage and two kids and I was struggling to get through uni. We were getting $8,000 a year from the government to go to uni back in the day. I ended up picking up a, um, a main road scholarship uh, at uni that they were offering. Managed to pick that up in my last year and uh, as a result of that scholarship, I got to work for main roads and then I had an internship of about three years while I was after I graduated. When I started with main roads, for some reason, well, they put me in the infrastructure delivery department and my role there as a superintendent on some of the fairly big jobs at the time, I ended up um, slipping into the tendering department and the tender analysis process at, while I was at Main Road. So like most engineers, when you the first thing you start with, you end up being an expert on. And that's really what happened. It was by default, I guess. So the projects I was looking after at the time were quite large, so I got a, a pretty good introduction into civil infrastructure and then also moving on into uh, doing the tender analysis. So uh, while I was at Main Roads, at that time I decided I wanted to get out into the, into the public, into the real world, not, not so much the public, and try my hand at contracting, uh, working for contractors. So with my experience as a, uh, as a civil engineer and uh, with my Main Roads experience, I picked up a job a company called Basic Construction, which was owned by ProBuild Civil, bought out, bought out by ProBuild Civil at the time, it became ProBuild Civil after a while, and um, as their estimating manager. I, I see a lot of engineers become estimators. What, what, yeah. what is it that being an estimator makes you so good at, at estimating? Uh, estimators, it's a real skill because I think a lot of people don't like to be estimators because they don't like the responsibility of the constant handle the stress. For a start, I think that's one thing. Uh, I'm fairly robust and um, I, I can fairly broad shoulders in that sense, and I can take criticism fairly easy. A person who wasn't really uh, fairly strong in that area probably couldn't handle a, a tender review. And for me, uh, I, I, I really enjoyed that challenge. And uh, I, I think it's just it, you just become an estimator. Just becomes an estimator by default. I think you just. I don't think so much you choose to, like for me, for instance, I was in the tender analysis department of Main Roads and that's what I started doing. So for me, it was a matter of just um, following a path course where I got most experience and I liked it. The other reason I might add there is um, in civil engineering, I don't want to offend any civil designers out there, but the civil design world where a lot of engineers can go into doesn't pay very well. So project managers certainly pay well and can pay well, but you've got to put a lot of years of work into into that experience to get to get to that pay level what i found with estimators because they're so rare good estimators is that you, you know you can make quite good money i think it's that money path that you follow originally initially for me it was the fact that i could see a good career path in in estimating more than i could in design or project management for instance mm -hmm. oh and the other thing is i like to be in the office i don't like to be out in the field so a lot of people do like to be out in the field Mm -hmm. but not for me yeah no fair enough um, it's, it's quite interesting that there's no specific qualification that you can take no there's not to become an estimator no, no. 
I think that may come down the track, and I've often thought about that with my experience over the years now, with 20-odd years plus experience. Um, you know, if ever there was a course or something to uh, the universities would start, would start up, I would really like an input into that, you know. But, yeah, you're right, there's not, a, there's not an estimating course as such to, uh, to go and study if you want to become an estimator. So it is quite, a unique, it is quite unique in that aspect. So you, you, you've went on to, you know, very senior positions in, in big, big companies. Yeah. Um, Stephen, what, what, what is it, for, you know, throughout your time, what, how, how would you describe, you know, the, the difference between a good estimator and, and a great estimator? You know, what are those qualities? Yeah, it, that's actually a really good question. In my experience, um, some of the very senior estimators that, have, that I've been under um, during my time used to always say to me that, you know, you can never price anything that you haven't built before. Mm -hmm. So they used to say, you know, like unless, you know, unless you built a six-man bridge or unless you built a tunnel or unless you built, then you really can't price it. Well, that, that, that's not really true because you can virtually build a lot of things as an estimator. Um, you can sit in reviews, you can see jobs that have been built before, you can mm -hmm. talk to project managers, ask them what went wrong and what, what didn't go wrong and wh where the risks were and what you need to look, look out for. And, yeah, I, th I think basically it's all, it's all about what makes a good estimator. That the question is that is yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I, I asked this question actually to um to to my network on on LinkedIn, and I, yeah. I got a, I got a great response. It was it was yeah. quite interesting. You, we, you know, there was there was so many different variables that you you never really think about. You know, mm. um, one of the big ones for me was communication. You know, there's there's this sort of um maybe stereotype that that most most estimators are extremely introverted. You know, don't want to. Yes. You know, don't 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 want to maybe talk to subcontractors. Don't want to get out there at, at, at maybe negotiating meetings or progress meetings or whatever it might be. Sorry, maybe tender tender meetings. But um, when I asked that question, the whole sort of communication piece seemed to be so important. Is that something that you think is quite important within the role? Yes. And, and, and the irony is, you're dead right, is that most estimators are um, introverted. So mm -hmm. for some reason, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, communication is, I, I wouldn't have said, I wouldn't have picked communication as being one of the skills. It's, it's, it's really been able to, the skill for, for me for a good estimator has been able to build the job in your head. Mm -hmm. So be able to put that uh, or, or communicate that on, on, on paper or on a software program in our case. I think if I went out to my team of estimators here or most of them that, that I've had in the past and, and looked at them and thought, are they good communicators? I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't say wouldn't that's, that's so. their skill set. Yeah. Because uh, they like to ferret away in the corner and punch out um, the numbers in the software and come out with an answer at the end of the day, probably not having to talk to anybody. So the communication part of it is done by what's called, you know, the procurement team mainly. So you have... In a big estimating team, you'll have the procurement team that, that do all the communicating with the subcontractors and suppliers and get all the information and ferret all that into the estimator. And he just sits there at his desk and just puts all that into the program to build the estimate up. So it's been able to retain knowledge. It's been able to uh, understand projects um, and get them into your head and build them as you're pricing them. Yeah. I think, and, and to be able to recall rates for different things pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, is, is a skill as well, you know, if good, someone's good got to, Well, yeah, good memory is one thing. Particularly in reviews, somebody will, in the review meeting will want to try a different option. They'll say, well, what about we go down to 
we use this type of pavement instead of that type of pavement. And you, you've got to be able to say, well, well, that's $50 a square metre less or $50 a square metre more. You'll be able to think pretty quick on your feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would think is, is a pretty good skill set as well. So you, you've been estimating or within the estimating industry then, Stephen, for 20 years, I guess? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Have you seen it change much since you started? No. No? Is it done exactly the same? Pretty much. Pretty much yeah. exactly. If I picked up an estimate from 99 and compared it with an estimate I'm doing today, uh, I could probably use the same numbers, just change the labour rate, the material rate, um, that's inc- things like that's that. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it is. It's very, very same. There's, there's not a lot of science really that's that's really changed in terms of what we do as an estimator. Yeah, and, and I guess technology and software hasn't maybe sort of developed it in, in, in any respect in terms of how quickly it's done or anything like that? Still using the same program I was using in 99. Gee, that's incredible. I mean, there are really only four programs out there mm-hmm. for estimating anyway in Australia. One of them, mm-hmm. you know, was developed by Leighton and uh, Cats, which mm-hmm. is really more dropped away. So it's pretty much left two or three that, that are there. It's, it's just, yeah, it's just one of those things that no one's really grabbed and, and tried to do better than what was already done. Mm-hmm. I suppose oh, I that, mean, that creates an um, opportunity for, for some smart person out there. Yeah. If, uh, if they can think of something, there, there's, there's, there's an opportunity to become an extremely wealthy person. There is, but, um, you know, the old philosophy, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Also, you know, th- there has been some that have tried to do that, I think, along the way, and the industry just hasn't, hasn't, hasn't embraced it. As a matter of fact, the program that we do use um, did upgrade at one stage um, to, to what they thought a better platform, better version, or much easier for us to use, and, and we in the industry didn't embrace that either. Yeah. Well, that's, that's you know, I, I see it in the, in the building side of things as well. There's... You know, BIM is, is is like a. It's been around for 10, 15 years, and still, people, uh, companies, and, and contractors are still building the exactly the same way that they did yep. twenty years ago. But yep. what what do you think the the main what, what are the main challenges that, that that estimators face nowadays? Then, Stephen. Well, that is a good question. The way we do things hasn't changed, so so therefore we really haven't had to adapt. So, so adapting to new ways of doing things. Isn't the long hours is one. Mm-hmm. If the estimators, you know, you're really, really busy for a couple of weeks and you're not doing anything for a week. So you've got that time where you can be working till midnight plus uh, for two or three days in a row. So it can be quite quite taxing on time and, and the stress levels that you get getting that estimate through the review process and eventually mm-hmm. signed off, I think, is, is, is always the main challenge for most estimators is, is that long hours that you put in yeah um, yeah, yeah and, and maintaining your, your brain and your thinking and capability during that process yeah um, and not not uh, not wearing out you know not not giving up mm. just, just having to produce that um, that final number at the end of the day and um, you know, I think I think that would be it there's probably others but I just can't think of it no no that's fair enough I was speaking to a young estimator there probably last week and it was quite interesting because he was, he, he, he was maybe 20, 29, 30 or something like that. And he was, say, he was saying to me basically how mentally draining it can be sometimes. Because yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're basically, you know that you're going to lose a lot of the time. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. 
That, that's true, actually. That's a good point. In, you know, I've worked um, for uh, Abbey Group or Van Lease now, or the estimating manager there was John Holland I worked for for quite a few years in the department there, and uh, Lang O'Rourke and some of those those big companies and, and been involved in some big billion-dollar estimate, estimates. But pretty much across the board with most um, estimating companies, your strike rate's around 1 in 10. That's pretty general. So you know you're going to do... 10 estimates, but only one of them is going to win. Yeah. It's just, you know, you're, you're selected tenders or you're shortlisted and you're like one of three and then you get into that 30% and you know you're going to win one in three. But most estimators in this industry are struggling. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. So you, you, you're yeah. going to have to have some serious bounce-back ability, you know. Yeah. <laughs> as I, and as I call it, Yeah, I, I call it a rubber, a rubber arse. Rubber arse. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you fall down, you've got to bounce back up again. Yeah. That's right. And, 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 you know, the recovery cost for the contractors is quite high because, yeah. you know, if, you, if your budget is um, $100 million to spend, you know, you've got to do $100 million for the tenders in a year, you've got to bid on $1 billion for the tenders to win that $100 million tender. It's incredible. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and then, so the cost, you know, obviously you've got to pick up those costs for tendering because they don't get paid for anywhere else except for in the next tender you win. Yeah. So... Yeah, well, that, that, that's one of the sort of the, the striking differences you, you find in estimating compared to any other role within the construction sector. You know, you're you're up against it nearly yep. more so than obviously nearly ten times more than anything any other position. Um, right. And that and that particular individual that I have in mind, from from what I from what he had indicated was that the company had won all the work that they needed for that year. Mm-hmm. And and they, but he was told to to continue estimating anyway, mm-hmm. even though even knowing that in, in his head that they weren't going to win, you yeah. know. So you're basically essentially you, you could be doing nothing, and you're still getting the same result. Um, That's right. So it, it's, it's 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 definitely a a, a career and a, and a and a position that maybe doesn't get as recognised as, as some of the others. You know, no, as I've definitely. said before, you. You don't see estimators still cutting the the red tape, uh, 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 <laughs> you know, right. on a big tunnel or a a, a a big bridge or whatever it might be. I think you're spot on there, and uh, my <laughs> wife will tell you that I don't know how many Christmas parties I've been to for the companies that I've worked for, where I get the Christmas party and the managing director or the general manager will get out and talk about the success of the projects, and he'll rave on about the project manager. But and I'll sit in the background, I'll be nudging and saying, "See, I didn't get mentioned again." <laughs> And she'd be like, "Oh, stop it! You know, you, you don't. You know, but, but you're dead yeah. right. You know, so many Christmas parties I can think of where I've just grumbled in the corner, thinking, there we go.' Yeah, you know, didn't get a mention. No one even thought about the estimator, but uh, the project manager, he gets the big pat on the back. He gets it. But it, it's way. it's so it's so interesting, isn't it? You know, it's it's. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not. I, I think though, having worked through the, a, a small part of the GFC, the the recession back in the UK. You really see your worth of a really good estimator when mm. you're seriously up against it, and you know you're tendering against twice as many contractors as you previously were. And now it's coming around that you know a lot of the clients I'm speaking to are saying, you know, there's five, six, seven more companies who are, who are showing up to these site visits than oh. than you know six months ago. So you really see your worth of a really good estimator and, and the value that they can bring in during these yes. challenging times. Look, that's an interesting point too. I mean, we just did a tender. Uh, we did two tenders just recently, actually, and there were sixteen tenders. 
Uh, we haven't seen that sort of, I haven't, I haven't seen that sort of numbers uh, estimating a tender has turned up since, uh, I'm going to say 2004, 2003, <sighs> four around that time. We used to have that. So we're back into it. Everybody is just so hungry at the moment. Mm-hmm. And the tender margins are getting creeping down and down and down um, to levels I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, how do you cope with that? Mentally, do you, it's, right, yeah. it's, you're just used to it, I guess. That's what that's what I was saying before. You know, like if you're the sort of person that couldn't cope with continually battling away and and, and losing and not able to cope with it mentally and physically inside and, and emotionally, you would you would never survive as an estimator. So we we're just robust like that. Yeah, because we've seen it happen so many times before, seen the industry change so much. You, you just you know you don't let it get you down. You know, the next the that's next thing you pick it you pick it up and away you go and you just put everything into it, just like you have in the past. You can't let those sort of things get you down in estimating at all. I don't. I don't think we're we're uh, overly selling the, the career here, Jenny. Um, <laughs> out there. It's a uh, long, long, long. I didn't realise that was our goal. <laughs> long, long hours, no recognition. That's it. You're you're up against it, ten to one. Can I say though that I have had many times in, in the past have particularly operation managers say to me, you know, you estimators are the most overpaid in the industry. So I guess I'm saying that, you know, you do get paid quite well in an estimator. That's mm-hmm. pretty much general across the board. And so, yeah, that, that's probably the thing that, that does drive you is you know that you most companies look after estimators. Yeah, that's one thing for sure. I mean, working on the, the recruitment side of things, you, you do see, you know, some, some big salaries, but certainly what you, the work that you put in it, yeah. it certainly warrants it. Any young, so any young budding estimators out there, or many sort of graduates, or engineers, or anyone along those lines, you know, what, what, what are the positives about being an estimator? I think most of the, I can say the biggest positive for being an estimator in in my time has been, particularly young project managers that have just got a couple of kids that their wife is sick of them um, travelling around, which happens as a project engineer, and as you know very well. And they just want to settle down in one place. And, and coming into the estimating apartment is the best way to do that. Um, yep. We find that, I find that so many times you get, I mean, you know, really to be a good estimator, you've got to do your five years out in the field anyway. That's pretty much part of the course. It was, mm-hmm. You can't come in as a, as a graduate engineer and then start estimating and become an estimator. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So you've got to get your, pretty much got to get your five to seven years out in the field. Um, and by that time, that, that young engineer will know whether he is wants to do that and be out in the field and work on as a project and build his way up to a project manager or project director or whether he wants to just settle down in one spot. And uh, it's usually the wife and family uh, scenario that wants him, sort of encourages him to stay. And, and, and estimating is probably the only career in engineering where you can just settle in one place and stay there for the next five, ten years. Yeah, I mean, that's, you do that's the, actually a great point. You do the odd site visit, travel in and around but basically fixed so that's what i'm saying most of the good young engineers that i've brought up through through the years have been project managers that have just not wanted to travel anymore and wanted to settle down and stay in the office mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a fantastic point and um, i'm thinking of plenty of people that i know you know have, have cut their teeth on uh, engineering projects yeah. right, in the middle of you know, doing inland rail or yeah. you know, mining projects or whatever it might yeah. be and certainly a great way to be home and be around family. Oh, definitely. And it's a great transition too, you know, getting their skill set and using them in a different way that they hadn't thought before maybe even, you know, like 
yeah, I've built that bridge or, yeah, I've built that road many times, but to be able to bring that skill set that they learned out the field into the office and then be able to put that down on paper and, and price a job like that, they do get a good sense of um, satisfaction out of it. Most of them do. Then they've got to find out with it. All the other things we talked about, you know, can they do that 10 times and only win it once? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, well it's, tr- it's true, but I think, I think that's a great point. And one you've maybe underplayed there as well, Stephen, you know, the, why you need to have the, those years of experience out on yes. site. Yes, that's would right. You say, yeah. Would you say it's crucial? Yes, mm-hmm. pretty much crucial. Yeah, to have that. There are some people that just, are some young engineers that just want to be estimators. That's just set in their mind. That's what they want to do. And I always say to them, you know, you're no good to me until you've been out in the field. You're really not. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't come in here and start estimating and not know what a gully pit is or you just got to be be amongst it and part of it, and kick the dirt and eat the dust, and have all that experience out there before you can come into the estimate bar. It is definitely crucial. Very rare. So, so I mean, if you're a, a young graduate out there and your your goal is to become a, an estimating manager or a senior estimator or something along yep. those lines, get out, get some experience, get That's on right. get on the site. Yeah, yeah. Forget about even trying to come into the field without. You know, it's very rare to get less than five years experience um, and come into estimating. Pretty much got to have that and you know if you get the five to ten years oh some of the companies that i've worked for actually will have the project uh, engineers or the project managers come into the bid team and work with the bid team and then go out and build the job once we won it that's a philosophy with some of the uh, some of the companies and that's great too because that, that way they get a, a look at they get both exposed to both parts of the uh, process and then they might say in the end well look i just want to stay in the estimating department now and they, they tend to be really good estimators because that they know what it's like after they bid the tender then to go and actually build what they said they could build it for, you know, which tends to be always the issue with estimators um, having to deal with the project manager once we've won the job and they say, well, there's no way I can build it for that. <laughs> oh, it's the old classic, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, the old classic. Yeah. I mean, you never hear from the project managers when the job goes well and, and there's some fat in it, but you always hear from them when you've made some errors oh. or you left something out. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Just one other thing as well, that to, to, to finish to finish it off, um, Stephen. Yeah. So, I noticed that you've you've done a lot of upskilling throughout your career. You've you've done yes. a lot of professional accreditations. Is there anything that you particularly that you've studied, or you know, any of those memberships that you've went through that you think has been pretty beneficial to to to, to estimating? Yeah, look, I would encourage uh, any young and I and I did from the very first as soon as I graduated started doing my career path to get it become you know a qualified engineer and, and get my rpq it's what i always wanted to be the rest of the things all the, the you know that you do is pretty much just add-ons to that you know becoming a fellow member of the institute of engineers and all those other things i think really if you're going to be in the consulting world and working with and with government organizations and doing estimating for them it's pretty much um, a must-have You've just got to have those credentials after your name, or else you're not recognised um, as a, as an engineering estimator. Oh, really? Um, so, so, you, yeah. so if if you're going for say big road projects, big rail projects, it's you, basically compulsory to compulsory, pretty much to go through those um, engineering accreditations. Yes, yes. The state okay. governments are now are now uh, requesting that um, that if you're um, working on some of those big projects like that, that you, you need to be an RPQ. Funny enough, but you know, I, I, I get it in a way too because um, 
they want to make sure that they're getting the best bang for their buck and they're getting somebody in there that knows what they're doing. And at least if they if they can prove up their accreditation as a as a civil engineer and their and their estimating at the same time, then 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 they get they know they get at least they've covered that those um those risks of having someone not know not know what they're doing, pricing these big these big jobs, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is it is becoming more and more nowadays that you need the accreditations. RPQ is probably the big one, and I think every engineer should aspire to becoming an RPQ in the first three to five years of their career. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's just a part of to just do that. Yeah, there should be someone from the, the RPQ or RPEQ. Yeah, registered professional engineer of Queensland. Okay. So Queensland, it's only Queensland really that has it at the moment. I think New South Wales have now picked up something similar. Victoria as well, they're following suit. So, the registered professional engineer of Queensland, I think. Personally, it should be compulsory for all engineers. Yeah, possibly no matter where you work. Uh, in, in terms of the, the 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 people that I speak to within the industry, there there's there's so many of them are maybe sitting in that position, may have sort of ten years experience, and, and want to go through those. Yes, um, per, professional upskilling to st- set them apart from from maybe others on the market, and I think it's extremely worthwhile hearing that right now when there is a pandemic, when there's more people looking for work. Yeah. That's how you set yourself out, maybe from from another individual. Get, get yes, definitely. Yeah, set yeah, you apart, yeah. And look, the other thing is too, that if you've got 10 years experience as, a, as an engineer, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's a lot easier to get your RPEQ because you get a lot of accreditation for years of experience. And you really just got to, um, you know, show references or whatever, or, or let them convince them that you've done the hard yards and you know what you're doing. Whereas, you know, earlier in the piece, you've really got to, you've really got to follow a process and have a mentor, and you know, it takes you it takes you a lot, lot longer. So a lot longer, a lot longer. Yeah, um, and it's a lot harder as well. You've got to prove up, to do some assessments, and get them signed off by your by your mentor. But you know, if you've got your experience, in your ten years or fifteen years engineer. Yeah, you'll be surprised how easy it is um, to get your accreditation once you, you know, pay the dollars and you've got to go and convince them that you know what you're doing and you get a lot of accreditation for life skills and experience that you've had in the past. What you do, you've got to let them know what you've done and um, it's quite easy. It made it a lot easier than it used to be, put it that way. Well, that's, that's, good. that's, that's good to know. Just just to, to finish off then, then Stephen, um, is, there, is there anything you're, you're particularly looking forward to? Over the next sort of six to twelve months, I guess, um, like everyone, you're you're looking forward to this coronavirus going away and everything <laughs> yeah, back to normal. Oh look, um, there are some big projects coming up. It's it's, it's quite funny, you know. You, my wife thinks it's quite funny that that I get excited about construction projects, but I just can't help it. It's in my blood. But you know, e- even I went to a, um, a presentation yesterday, you know, for Cross River Rail, and just incredible the, the work that's going on. In Brisbane at the moment, just opening up holes everywhere in Woolloongabba and at Bogger Road for these underground stations. And so, you know, really getting really excited to work on, uh, we're getting a chance to work on those sort of big projects like that. Um, yeah. Really love those projects. But what I am excited about, I think, is the stimulus package that the government's going to be putting out because, mm-hmm. of, this, because of this coronavirus. And, you know, they've promised some big projects to release them. Um, we haven't seen them all yet. We don't know exactly what are coming out, what is coming out, but I think that's what. That's what's exciting me. I'm hoping to see a big flux of not so much the shovel-ready projects that will go straight to the contractors, but the ones that are in the planning stage that will come to us as well. We do a lot of work for, for the design houses in the planning stage and the business cases. You know, looking forward to some, some big projects coming out in the next few years uh, in that part of that stimulus package. 
think that's it's, probably it. It's great. It's great to see the the government has responded, and certainly there's a lot more optimism w- within the infrastructure sector than there currently is within the building sector. Oh um, yeah. So I yeah. guess you'll find a lot of you know typical site engineers and project engineers trying to make that transition across on the big roads and on real projects over the next yep. twelve to eighteen months. Yeah, hopefully they will come across. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can see it happening with the building industry because, you know, what's happening is a lot of the office spaces around Brisbane at the moment are empty. You know, so, they're, so they're not going to be building a lot of office space buildings or if they had them in the, pro, in the projects, they're probably going to put them on hold for a while because they can't lease out what they've got already because people are working from home. It's just changed the whole industry uh, on that building side, you know, whereas, you know, the transport infrastructure, nothing's changed. Matter of fact, it's... Yeah probably got busier of anything so we're very lucky in that um, transport civil infrastructure space where coronavirus hasn't affected us and um, we're almost becoming an essential service in that in that aspect so it's a good place to be a civil engineer at the moment in in the um, civil infrastructure space i think no i, I agree and i'm sure there's plenty plenty more who, who agree with you as well Stephen. Mm. but just to, just to wrap this up if there's any any sort of um, engineers or estimators out there who, who might want to connect with you um, yeah, ask definitely. you a few questions is the best best way linkedin or what, what's the best way to contact you oh uh, yeah so linkedin and on our web page where the web page there's a uh, there's a section there to uh careers section where you can where you can apply mm-hmm. as a matter of fact only just yesterday or the other day we had somebody uh, a young estimator hop on our page and put us put a cv across it went over to um to to our other department that came across to me and they said, look, this person's just advertised on their webpage. Great CV, great person to meet. So I'm just going to catch up with them next week, have a coffee. Excellent. Um, so, so we're always, uh, mo- most um, en- estimating departments are pretty much always looking for, for, for estimators. We mightn't have a space for one at the moment, but we're, we'll get busy and we'll need to put one on or, yeah, just always on the, on the lookout for good estimators. That seems to be the, the message, I think. Um, yeah. So if you're if you're an estimator out there, get on to the uh, the Fell Weber careers page and get your CV br- br- uh, spruced up uh, yep. and, and get it across to, to Mr. Walter. Yep. Keep keep it down to two pages, two or three pages. Uh, <laughs> as an old saying, you know, yeah, you know more about that than most, and I would, but you know, they they reckon that once you get past the second page, you don't read anymore. I seen uh, I seen an eighteen pager today. Um, <laughs> the, the guy described he, he told everyone um, the names of his children, how yep. long he's been married, where he met his wife, uh, everything. So down to two pages, you're all good. Yep, I must have looked at a thousand <laughs> CVs over my years, and not as much as you, of course, in your industry. But yeah, I generally I generally always just look at. Funny enough, I don't look at the age. I don't. I very rarely look at the age or, or, or the name so much. So I just go straight to experience like the little little blurb at the front blurb at the front mm-hmm. which tells them overall and the companies they worked out and the roles they had in those companies to me that's the main thing and if i and if i don't see enough experience that i'm looking for in in those in that first four or five minutes of scanning cv uh, i might just put it down and go to the next one yeah well that's it the, the average person reviews a cv for about seven seconds yeah so if you're if you've got an eighteen page CV, you know no one no one no one's looking for warm peace. You know we're you're looking for two three pages max. Yeah. And if you're an estimator, especially, yep. you don't need anything other than a number of your projects you've worked on. Yep. And your you know your responsibilities on, on those right. as well. 
thanks very much for for doing this Stephen um, no, no. Was, uh, no problem really at all, see you next time yeah thank you thank you so much for listening to Made to Measure I really hope you enjoyed the podcast this is the only podcast in the world that focuses on the niche area of construction costing therefore as an independent podcast your support is invaluable please like share screenshot give a review or just tell your friends and colleagues about the show more people that know about the podcast the better the guests that we can bring to you the better the content you will consume thank you for joining me i'm mcdonaghy and this was made to measure